Well, good morning, everyone. Very grateful that you are here today to worship with us. I'm so grateful for our worship team, Pastor Zach and the team, and speaking them before to them briefly before the first service about how they lead us to the throne of grace, but the way they worship is to they minister to the Lord first. And in so doing, it pleases Him. And what we see from Scripture, I'll mention this later on, is that the Holy Spirit many times speaks in that setting. So I'm grateful for them. We continue our series today, the Decalogue, the Ten Words, the Ten Commandments. And sometimes when we come to these commandments, we might go, oh no, here we go, here's the rules. This cosmic killjoy, God is going to ruin my life, ruin my fun by confining me, by putting me in this jail of all of these commandments, these things I must do. And after all, are they even relevant today in our culture, in our lives? But if you hear these passages that deal with the Ten Commandments in that framework, you've missed it. You've missed it. Because guess what we see in the book of Exodus up to this chapter 20? We see that the God of heaven and earth the Creator of all things, the Father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He heard the cry of His people. Because of His great love and mercy, He rescued them. He delivered them out of slavery. He taught them and told them to shed the blood of the Lamb, to apply it to their doors. And they were spared, spared as judgment came upon Egypt. And then he led them out. And when they came to the Red Sea and it seemed as if Pharaoh was going to catch them and kill them all, in a mighty miracle, God rolled back the water. And they walked across on dry ground. When they didn't have anything to eat, God gave them manna and quail. When they didn't have anything to drink, He gave them water. Everything about the journey in the book of Exodus, these first 19 chapters, everything about them until now is a story of a heavenly father, a good, good father who said, I've chosen you. I love you. I have provided for you. I've delivered you. And now here at Mount Sinai, he meets them to say this. This is what he's saying in these Ten Commandments. I want you to know what brings me glory. I want you to know how to live what pleases me for my great glory and also for your good. Do you see the difference? These are not rules. We're not under the thumb of a God who wants to kill your joy. These are principles that will show us how to live for God's glory, will guide us to teach us to live in a way that's best for our lives. So my assignment today is the sixth word 
The sixth commandment, and it's this. You shall not murder. In other words, to honor life. Don't intentionally, with premeditation, kill another person with malice. And I believe as we look at this commandment, I think it's helpful to take a long, lingering look. And those of you that have heard me speak in the last few times I've been here, you remember the word survey? We're going to take a survey today of the story of the first murder in Scripture. The murder of Abel by his brother Cain. There'll be some principles that we'll be able to see that will help us in our walk, help us live in a way that both honors and pleases God and will be to our benefit. So if you're able, I invite you in honor of reading God's Word to stand with me. And we'll begin reading in Genesis chapter 4. We'll read verses 1 through 5. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering... He had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So this is the first account in Scripture after the fall, what we call the fall, the original sin of Adam and Eve. And even though Adam and Eve sinned and they were cast out of the garden, God was still gracious to them. If you remember, He promised Eve that from her seed would come a deliverer, would come the one who would crush the serpent's head, who would conquer sin and death and the devil. He clothed them with animal skins to cover their nakedness and shame. And even though sin and death had been let loose, God is still gracious. He gives to Adam and Eve life in the form of two sons. And they realize what a miracle it is. In fact, Eve said, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. She understood what a miracle Cain's birth really was. And for all the moms in here today, it is a miracle, is it not? These two sons grow up. And they began to take on responsibility. Cain works the ground. Abel works the fields with the animals. Both of these are professions that honor God. They both bring an offering from their work before the Lord. And then is when conflict arises. The Lord has regard for Abel's offering, but for Cain... He has no regard. Why? Why was Abel's offering pleasing to the Lord? And why was Cain's rejected? 
After all, in the law, there's provision for both offering of meat that Abel offered and grain like Cain. So it wasn't the type of Cain's offering that didn't please God. I think we'll see the answer in the last part of verse 4 and the first part of verse 5. If you'll look at it with me again, we'll see the answer. It says, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. God wasn't just looking at what was brought. He was looking at the giver. Scripture teaches us that man, we're the ones who look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord looks on the heart of the worshiper that comes before him. And when God looked at Abel's heart, here's what he saw. The writer of Hebrews in the New Testament speaks to this in the 11th chapter. He says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. It's by faith. Abel offered a better sacrifice. So God looks beyond what is just what is given. He looks to the heart. And when he looked at Abel's heart, he saw that he was coming to him and approaching him out of faith, out of reverence, out of worship. But Cain, unfortunately, epitomized a worshiper who approached God out of hard works instead of faith. So what does that look like? And if you're a note taker, it's the first thing in your notes. What does it look like to approach God out of a heart of works? Well, to worship out of a heart of works means that we give to God what is required and readily available. We give to Him out of duty. We give to Him to earn something. Cain just brought from his regular supply. What was easy? What he had readily available? He brought what was required and that alone. No more and no less. But Abel demonstrates to us what it's like to work, worship out of a heart of faith. And to worship out of a heart of faith means that we give to God what is best and supremely valuable. We give to Him out of delight not duty. We give to Him to praise Him. To praise Him, to worship Him in the way that our service is directed towards Him. Did you notice that Abel brought the first of what he had? The first. And the fattest. In other words, he brought the most valuable things that he had of his flock. And he gave that to God. But contrast that with Cain's offering, who offered out of duty, who offered what was readily available. You see, a heart of works offers to God to initiate a transaction with the divine. The heart of works is looking at worship like a business transaction. I've done this, Lord. I've offered this. And now you do this for me. Quid pro quo. That's what the heart of works looks like when it comes to worship. But the heart of faith comes and recognizes this with humility 
in your heart and soul and recognizes what God has done. And now I'm giving it back to you. After all, it's yours anyway. You see the difference? What I want to share with you this morning, beloved, as we look at this first portion of Scripture, is that your motive for worship matters. It just does. It matters to God in our worship. If we're coming to Him to try to discharge some religious duty or to come to Him expecting something in return, or whether we come to Him out of a desire to praise Him, to please Him, we're coming to Him out of delight and recognition for all that He's done. So let me ask you this morning, What is your motive for worship? Did you come to the Lord today out of a sense of duty, expecting God to give you something in return? Or is your motive one of inexpressible gratitude for what the Lord has done? And particularly for those of us who follow Christ how could we ever adequately thank Him for what He's done through Christ? How could we express the beauty of the fact that He's pulled us up out of a miry clay pit and set our feet on solid rock? That He gave us new birth, new life. That He saved our souls. Cain's motive was flawed. And he's angry. Let's look at verse 6. He, the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? And now church, this next verse, I really want you to pay attention with me what God says to this man. These words echo through the ages to us today. He says to him, If you do well, Cain, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. This part of the story, as I was preparing for this time with you guys, just touched my soul. And it cut my soul to the quick. Because even though Cain's offering is rejected by God, the Creator of the universe, the mighty God, reasons with him. He didn't simply walk away from him. He approached him to talk about his sacrifice and what he needed to do to be accepted. In church, I'm reminded today that this same God maybe is pleading with us today, some of you. Maybe you're resisting Him. God reasons with Cain. And what we'll see, and it's in your notes, there's four things, four ways that He reasons with him in the passage. First of all, there's an indication that God saw Cain in his state. The state that he was in. Cain's angry. He's devastated over the fact 
that God did not respond and receive his offering. But God sees him just as he sees us today. The second thing we see is that Cain didn't need to be angry at God's correction. The fault was not outside himself as if it were something that could not be changed. It could be changed. And the one to change it was Cain. So too with us, is it not? We tend to blame others for our troubles, do we not? That should be an amen right here, right? Have you ever blamed somebody else for your problems? And by the way, sometimes others are a factor, but the true cause is seldom there. There's a cartoon comic strip character by the name of Pogo. And he said this in one of his memorable utterances. He said, we've met the enemy and he is us. It's within. Here's the third thing, the way God reasoned with him. He reminded Cain of the right course of action. He told him the way to go. There was a way out of this. He said, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And here's the indication here about Cain's offering. If you're wrestling with, well, was God just arbitrary in that offering? What's he saying here? What God is saying is there was a right course of action and Cain knew what it was. But he chose to go a different way. He rejected the right course of action, not for lack of knowledge because God had revealed it to him, as we talked about earlier. It wasn't the grain offering. It was the condition of his heart. Cain rejects that, decides out of lack of humility to go a different way. And here's the last way God reasons with him. is God gave him a warning. What a warning it was. Sin is crouching at the door. The warning was that if Cain refused to come to worship on God's terms, not his terms, he was flirting with disaster. The cause of his anger was sin. And sin was about to master him. In May of 1889, it was raining a bunch in Pennsylvania, central Pennsylvania. In fact, with one day, one 24-hour period on May 30th of 1889, it rained 24 inches in 24 hours. And there was a lake that was upstream from the town of Johnstown, and it was held back by a dam, a South Fork Dam. And this lake and dam were owned by these wealthy industrialists. Some of the names you'd probably know. Andrew Carnegie was one of them. And it was a private hunting preserve, fishing preserve. The dam had not been maintained well, inadequate maintenance. And there had been times in the past where there had been warnings sent to the town downstream that, hey, the dam might be in a little trouble. But this time... There were at least three telegrams sent to the town of Johnstown saying the dam is going to fail. But the recipient of the telegram in Johnstown ignored the warning. And he was, he was reputed to have said, 
it's not going to it's not going to burst. Therefore, I'm not going to give the the warning. There have been false warnings before. But on May 31st at 2:55, that South Fork Dam failed. And listen to this: releasing 3.83 billion gallons of water. A 60-foot wall of water was traveling down that gorge at 40 miles an hour and it hit that town of Johnstown and it killed 2,200 people. To that point, the greatest disaster in American history. The warnings were ignored. Disaster struck. Beloved sin is always crouching at the door. If we do not heed the warning of the Lord, here's what can happen. Sin is like a beast waiting for us to open the door, waiting for us to ignore the reasoning of God, waiting for us to ignore His warning, waiting for us to not do a course correction and obey. Instead of a heart of worship of works to come to Him, with a heart of worship, praising Him, moving towards Him, ministering to God. Sin desires to master us, and in many cases has. We must master it. But how? Can you do it yourself? By the way, have any of you besides me ever said, I'm never going to do that again? We cannot do it ourselves. How can we drive out the demons of sin and cleanse this old house that we live in? We're inadequate for such things. If we would desire to master sin in our lives, beloved church, we must first be mastered by Him who mastered it. Christ conquered sin at the cross. We allow Him to master sin in our lives. We must be His. If you choose to ignore the reasonings of the Holy Spirit and the Father in your life, if you choose to ignore the way He moves in our lives and the warning that He gives us, there's a 60-foot wall of water coming your way. And I share that with you because I love you. Sometimes we act like it's a remote God who's just a benevolent despot watching us and saying, well, you know, that's how it goes. No, He's intimately involved in every detail of our lives. He's in control of all things. Right now, Jesus Himself is upholding the universe by the word of His power. Nothing happens unless He says so. When He gives you a warning, if He's given you a warning, you better listen. Has God reasoned with you? Has the Holy Spirit spoke to your souls? I've never heard the audible voice of God. I I, I would not be one to say that He couldn't do that. Who, Who am I? Maybe you haven't either, but how He primarily reasons with me is through His Word. There's not a situation that any of us will face in life that His Word has not spoken to it. 
It's alive. It's God-breathed. It's active. Whatever situation we face, we will find the correct way to respond and to live. So Cain rejects the overture of God. He rejects the reasoning of God and there's tragic consequences. Look at verse 8 with me. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. This is heartbreaking. When they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and he killed him. He murdered him. Cain did not allow himself to be mastered by God. He became enslaved by sin. And he became the first murderer. What a murderer he was. If we were to speak in modern legal terminology, no one could claim that Cain was guilty of manslaughter or even second degree murder or any other category that might lessen his offense. No. This was absolute premeditated murder in the first degree. Cain thinks he's going to get Abel out of the sight of others. And when he does, he kills him. But Cain was not out of the sight of God. God sees everything. And he saw him. And then God says this to him. He asks him this question. Where's your brother Abel? And Cain's reply. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Think how evil that reply is. It contains the first lie of man in the Scripture. And it also contains the first human question in the Bible. The lie was Cain's denial that he knew his brother's whereabouts. He knew perfectly well. But so greatly had sin mastered him. Not only did he lie, but he lied to God. How greatly sin had worked in less than one generation. And second, Cain asked this question. The very first question in Scripture from humans. And it's even worse than the lie. So hard is his heart, he now suggests that his brother, whom he has killed, his brother is not his responsibility. If something happened to Abel, it's Abel's fault, not mine. Do I hear the voice of modern man in Cain's cruel question? I think I do. I think of a, a story of years, several years ago about a woman being murdered in New York while more than 30 neighbors heard her screams and ignored her cries for help. I also think of the blood of 63 million babies since Roe v. Wade was the decision. And that blood cries out like the blood of Abel. And yet, regrettably, many in the American church have been silent We've ignored the command of God to defend innocent life. We've echoed the question of Cain. Am I my brother's keeper? 
My final thought is from the New Testament. The Bible speaks not only of Cain, and it warns that to not go the way of Cain, says we're to avoid that. Well, what does that mean, that we're not to go the way of Cain? Well, it means this. Cain's case is a sorry one. But it's even sorrier that it's become a pattern for many persons who followed Cain. If you're walking in Cain's way this morning, I have a warning for you. If you've rejected the way of salvation that's been provided for you through the shed blood of Christ, if you've refused to accept responsibility for your own state, heed the warning of God and turn back while there's still time. Reject that way of Cain. And take the way of Abel. And here's the way of Abel. Even though he was killed, the testimony of Scripture, the testimony of God is that he was righteous. Look with me at that full passage found in Hebrews 11, where it says, God says of Abel, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And then listen to this church. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Can you hear him today? Can you hear that voice? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. Timeless word that's God-breathed. It's alive and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. I thank you for the commandments that you gave us, the Decalogue, the, the ways that we're to live. And I'm reminded of the words of Jesus where he said, not one word of the law would pass away. He didn't come to break the law, he came to fulfill it. Thank you, Christ, that you did that. And through your life, through being reborn and having the mind of Christ, we too can master sin in our lives. We too can live a life of faithfulness. A life where we listen to You and obey You and walk by faith. Our worship can become that of a person who comes to You out of a heart of deep gratitude. Acknowledging all that You've done. Lord, thank You for that. And as now as we go to Your table, we remember You, King Jesus. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.